Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. There is a commercial uh, that started airing, or at least I started noticing it at, at the end of last year. And this commercial is for the, the dating website, Match.com. And, and in this commercial, um, there are two people that are looking for a match. One of them is Satan. And then Satan uh, gets a match with a young woman named 2020. And of course, Satan and 2020 fall deeply in love. And this sort of short 60-second commercial uh, sort of follows them throughout the year as they enjoy one another's company. Uh, They even make a joke about how uh, Satan met 2021, and she wasn't really his type. She wasn't political enough for him and was kind of boring. That commercial has not aged well. Here we are, 17 days in, and it's pretty much meet the new boss, same as the old boss. It's pretty much a lot of the same. I mean, look at it. We've got insurrection. We have government agencies squabbling over who has or who gets COVID vaccinations. We have COVID righteousness sweeping the land. I have not gotten COVID because I am more careful than you. We have COVID license all over the place. I don't care about COVID. COVID is a joke. We have The canceling of events, which, by the way, if you didn't read in the letter, we have pushed back our our particularization from next Sunday um, off into the spring uh, because of all these COVID precautions. We have canceling of events, and we have canceling of people. It just keeps going, doesn't it? I'm reminded a little bit of the story in Exodus uh, when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, hey, I know you're not going to let us go right now, but how about this? How about you just make our job for you as slaves. Why don't you just make this a little bit easier? And Pharaoh says, nah. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take away the straw that helps you do your job. I'm just gonna make it worse. It just gets worse. And so each week is a fresh, fresh batch of things to be anxious about. Each week is something new that's going to bother us and fatigue us. It doesn't seem right. It shouldn't be this way. All of us, whether we've been greatly affected or only sort of affected, have this thing inside of us that kind of looks around at the world as it is and says, something's not right. This isn't going the way it's supposed to go. And where that comes from, where that idea that this isn't the good life, that this isn't the good society, where that comes from is the image of God that is stamped and woven into each of our DNA. We have this desire, this longing for a place that we've never been. It's like a child who has seen commercials and heard his friends talk about Disneyland, but he's never been. And he can only imagine the most magical place on earth. And he he wants to go, but he can't. 
that desire for a place that, that we've never been, that yearning for Eden. This is what strikes us so much about movies uh, like Avatar. When we see the planet of Pandora in the movie Avatar, we're just sort of blown away. I mean, floating mountains and giant pterodactyls that you can ride. Yeah, I want that. <laughs> I want to go there. I want to hang out in that place. This longing, even for places like Pawnee, that, that just see, everything seems right. Everything seems to go well. That longing is, a, is an echo of our desire for something more. And it's a desire for us to be something more as well. But here's where we get tripped up. We all know that this world isn't the way it ought to be. We all know that sort of intrinsically inside of us. But, but how do we get from here to there? If I'm not who I should be, if this world isn't what it should be, if this is sort of the sort of turmoil that's kicking up in my soul, how do we get from here to there? If I were to ask each one of you that question right now, I'm pretty sure I would get as many different answers as we have people here right now. Not all of us would have a different idea of how do we get to the good life? How do we get to the good place? How do we see this all come to be? Some of you might answer that we need, we need the right laws. If we just fix the laws, then this would be a good society. Some of you might say, no, no, the problem is not laws. The problem is we don't have the, the proper economic system. And if we just tweaked this about our economics, or if we just had the best leader, or maybe if you just, if you just fixed my personal spending habits, then, then it would be okay. If I was just healthier, then I would have the good life. You can fill in your blank with so many things about how this goes, about what this is. We think that all of these things, leaders, economics, personal fitness, fill in the blank with your stuff. We think that those things are the sort of things that change our life and change the world. But they're not. You see, we get things turned around. We want to see the world change. We want to see ourselves change. And we think that if the world around us would change, then it would fix me. If we could just get this stuff taken care of, then I would be fixed. Then my life would be easier. Then we would be in a good spot. But the way that God works, the path that God takes us down, both for change in our life and the life of the world, is always change that grows from the inside out. It never starts externally and ends up internal. It always starts internally and ends externally. This is what James is going to, to show us this morning. And so I'd invite you all to, to stand with me. I'm going to read um, the, last, the last eight or nine verses of James chapter one. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version and I invite everybody to, to stand up and listen as we hear about change from the inside out. Here's what James says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphan and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. As we've seen time and time again with James, he is not one to mince words or to start slow. He just sort of comes at you again and again and again. And he starts this passage that is all kind of focused around the path that God takes to change us by saying that every person needs to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Think about what the opposite of that would be. I think it's, we, we, can, we can see a lot of ourselves <clears throat> and others if we think about people that are slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger. And it would be easy for us to sort of just sit down here and go, well, you know what the problem with society is? You know what's really going on? If people would just listen to these three phrases, people would just be slower, slower to speak. If they'd just be quicker to listen and slower to anger, then everything would be fixed. And then everything would be all right. And while there may be some truth in that, James is getting at something bigger than just a small proverb. Just a, hey, be a better listener. Hey, you should, you should think about that a little bit and, you know, don't speak so quickly. Now, that's not what James is ultimately driving at. What James is driving at is the way that we respond to the world around us, especially when the world is broken, especially when things aren't going well. Because what James is talking about, what he, what he says is be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because our anger does not produce the justice of God. When, when James uses righteousness here, he's bringing in the idea of justice. We want to see God's justice come to this world. We want all things to be set right. But here's the problem. You and I can never create that through our anger. You and I can never create justice by being mad online. It, it's just incompatible. That's just not the way it works. As much as we would love to get really mad and then see the world be a better place, that, I mean, think about it. L listen to what I just said. We want to get really mad so that the world will become a better place. That doesn't, that doesn't even sound right but how many of us live our lives as if that were possible? <clears throat> Parents, 
How many of us parent our children as if that were possible? Never mind. Not going to go there. Anger is dear to us. We hold it close. We, we want to see justice happen. We don't see justice happening around us. And so what do I do? I say this. Fine. I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm the only one who can fix this. I'm the only one who can do this. I, you know, if I don't say anything, this person is continu- going to continue to be wrong. And I don't want them to continue to be wrong. So I'll take it on my shoulders and I'll remind them just how wrong they are. I think that if I was, if it was just me in charge, everything would be okay. Don't you? Don't you sometimes think that if, just just if you were in charge of everything, it would be all right. I mean, you've got the best ideas for how to do things. I mean, look, every single person in this room is smarter than their boss. Think about that. Every single one of you thinks just a little bit that you're smarter than your boss. They don't know what they're doing. They, they don't know what it's like to do my job. And what we do is out of a sense of pride and out of a subtle worship of power, we take this burden on ourselves. We take this responsibility on our shoulders. And so we look at things that are happening that we know aren't right. And we say, I'm going to be the change that fixes this. I'm going to be the one in charge. And the best way to get this done is out of anger. But what does James say the way that the world has changed? Because our anger cannot bring this about. What, what does what does is when we put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, the implanted word. God's solution to injustice is not our angry action, but rather our meek reception of the word of God. That is so wildly counterintuitive to us. Why is meekness the sort of thing that changes the world. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to speak to you for just a second because the question of injustice is meaningful and significant. If God is real, if the Bible is true, why exactly does injustice still exist? Why does unrighteousness still exist both in individuals and in societies? And the short answer is, I don't know. Injustice, unrighteousness was the result of our fall, of the choices that that our parents, Adam and Eve, made. But why God did not wipe things out and just make it better right away, we're never told. We're told that his ways are above our ways. We're told that the, all things work out for his glory, but how injustice fits into that picture, we are never told. And so we embrace this as a piece of mystery. 
as a piece of tension that the Bible holds out. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to say that all of us, whether we believe in Christianity, another religion, or no religion, have mystery that we can't explain about our belief systems. Christopher Hitchens, on his best day, could not explain what happens at sunset on the beach. Sure, he could tell you that that the light is refracting through extra layers of the atmosphere, and that's what gives us the beautiful sunset. Okay, neat. But he can't explain why we are so drawn to absolutely stare at that sun as it sinks below the surface and something happens in us. All of us have mystery. Part of the question is, what set of mysteries are you comfortable with? But to those of us who are Christians, who are here, what James says as he seeks to show us what the real path of change is, is first to receive with meekness the word of God. And he uses the language that it's implanted into our heart. He's picking up on the language that Jeremiah used in the Old Testament, that when Jesus comes, he's going to take out our heart of flesh or heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Now, James could never imagine a world in which actual heart transplants could take place. That would have seemed like something beyond the pale of anything. But he uses that kind of language in this case, that what we need starts with something we can't do. We cannot rip out our heart of stone and give ourselves a heart of flesh. That's something that God has to do for us. And that those of us who are Christians, that's what he has done. And it's our job to meekly receive it. And so as we receive it, our first sort of order of business is to do so with meekness. But then he expands on that, not just how we receive the word, but then that we should go and do it. It's not enough to just hear, oh, I heard a Bible verse this morning. That was pretty cool. I'm all Jesus up for the day and the world's going to change. Got it, right? May as well just paint a nice Bible verse on the walls of our house, look at it every morning and then move on. That's, that's nothing more than Christian shamanism. That's not a thing. It's not real. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. James wants us to look and see who God truly is when we open up the pages of the Bible and see who we really are. As we open up the pages of the Bible, what we see is that God is holy. I mean, look at the language that he uses throughout this text to describe us. What? That we have rampant wickedness. He's talking to Christians. Church, aren't we glad we have rampant wickedness? Filthiness? That we're self-deceiving? And then when he finishes it all up, he's also going to mention the fact that we we are worthless in our religion. Pretty cool descriptors. Glad to come to church to feel a little bit better about myself. Glad I've got that section taken care of. No, look at this. He's saying, if we look in the Bible, we're going to see who God is. And we're going to see ourselves. And we're going to see the great gap between those two things. Now, our 
response to that is oftentimes to go, Welp. Okay, fine. God's holy. I'm super not. So I guess I'm just going to uh, not care and go on about my life. I'm just going to like ignore that. I'm just going to move on. Who cares? This, this is the exact sort of self-deception that James is talking about. That we look at who God is, that we look at ourselves, and we just move along. It's like looking at a mirror, James says. And, and it's like looking in the mirror right after you've eaten a Publix blue cupcake. Because they put something in that cupcake frosting dye that is made with indelible ink. So that after you eat a blue Publix cupcake, you look like a Smurf vampire, possibly permanently. Now imagine, after that moment, you go and look at yourself in the mirror. Face smattered in blue, because nobody can eat a cupcake, you know, and and you look at your face and you go, "Eh, seems to be fine to me, and you move on about your business. What does everyone else look at you and say in that moment? You know, clean it up, fix it up. And you're like, no, I'm good. This is, this is my look. I'm good with this. This is fine. Somebody did that. We would, we would be shocked. We'd, we would not understand. We would be taken aback. When we go to the Bible and look and go, hmm, neat, and then walk away, we have that same effect of self-deception. It's visible to everyone else. And we choose to ignore it. But no, he says, don't just hear the word, but actually allow the word to change you from the inside out in the actions that you do and the way that you grow from the implanted word that grows in obedience. The the picture that is running through this passage is that of a seed to a plant, to a flower. As that word is implanted in us, it begins to grow up into the obedience of doing God's word. And then he starts talking about our tongue. He starts saying, if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart and his religion is worthless. So is this just telling us, hey, you should be nicer to people. You should cuss less. Shouldn't gossip, okay? No. James is actually tying a very certain type of speech together here. He's talking about the way that we talk about religion, the way that we talk about our hearts, and specifically the hearts of others. Because what's easy to do, what's very easy for you and I to do, is to to hear God's word, maybe preached, like right now. Or to maybe even like wake up in the morning and read your Bible and then to try really hard to do that thing. Maybe we write a word down on our wrist and go, you know, nice. We're going to be nicer today. I'm going to try it. And when we do that, when we are just sort of going through the motions, the sort of pro forma religion of check, read my Bible, check, did the thing the Bible said, 
What happens? What does that create? That specific line of things is precisely what creates self-righteousness in our hearts. I read my Bible this morning. Did you? I not only read my Bible, I did what my Bible said. Why can't all of you people be more like me? Why can't everyone else be more like me? This is what creates the impression that Christians have that we're jerks. Is because what we do is we have a coursery, surface level, oh, I read my Bible. Oh, I did Jesus things today. Why can't everyone else be more like me? That, that is what James says is absolutely worthless. Your personal devotional habits can be a hindrance to your relationship with Jesus. If it is just a sort of performative, perfunctory thing, if it is just a means to create self-righteousness in your own heart, if it is just a way for you to make sure that other people know how good you are. No, James is offering us a different vision. Instead of this worthless fruit of self-righteousness, look at what this passage presents. It is a beautiful picture of the word of God implanted into your heart and mine. And that word of God grows into following Jesus in the road of obedience, following Jesus in doing the things that the Bible says. And then what does it bloom into? What is the end game? What is the end game of all of this? Selfless service to those who can't pay you back. That's where it's going. That's where this story blooms into a beautiful flower. Not in you being great, but rather in you selflessly serving those who can't serve themselves and who can't pay you back. That's why he mentions the widows and the orphans. He is using them as a stand-in. He's using those, those people as, as an example of those who, who cannot pay you back, who cannot serve you back. Rather, these are the people who we serve when this implanted word grows through following Jesus and blooms into selfless service. And this whole story, this whole story of the growth of this flower is beautiful. Not because it is just what God is doing in your heart and mine, but it's beautiful because it is the rhythm and story of Jesus. Jesus' story where he, out of meekness and humility, leaves heaven and then lives under the law, completely fulfilling it, doing the word, not just hearing only to the point where he then sacrifices himself for people who could never pay him back and who didn't deserve it. People with names like Justin. People with names like yours. The, the path that Jesus is calling us to walk is the path that he has already cut through the jungle of this world. 
It is a path that starts with meekly receiving God's word and then living God's word out, not out of self-righteousness, but out of genuine change that comes from the inside of our heart that leads us to selfless service. And that quiet selfless service of those who can't pay you back is the thing that actually changes the world is where injustice begins to be undone one thread at a time from the corners. Our lives begin to change and then something beautiful happens. So let's follow Jesus. Let's follow him down this path that he has cut for us, not in quick anger, but slow progress as the word of God, which is implanted in us, begins to grow. And then we live according to that word and it blooms into self-sacrificial service to others, especially those who have nothing to offer us. That's how the world changes. The world's not gonna change by this political movement or that political movement. The world is not gonna change by by fiat or legislation. The world changes primarily in small and local ways that begin to add up over time. Church, that's what we're called to. It changes by creating changed people, changed families, and changed neighborhoods. How is your hearing and reading of God's word affecting your physical neighborhood? North Kenwood, Euclid St. Paul, Uptown. How is your hearing of the word of God affecting Old Northeast or Eckerd's College campus? That's what Jesus wants to do. So let's receive God's word with meekness and let's see how that changes the world around us. Let's pray.